Let me interrupt you just yeah. for a second, because yeah. I don't want time to get away and me not say that I am sitting here with the, one of the latest inductees into the Tennessee Journalism Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. That is incredible, well, but, it not, so but not surprising. Well, I was surprised. I was surprised well, and so thrilled, I, really. I, I can't think you could count on one hand the, the journalists in this state, and, and I mean journalists, not um, in the true sense of the word, not not what they have today. Welcome to Country Road Detours, podcasting from the front porch of the South. Visit us at CountryRoadDetours.com. Hello, I'm Bob Longmire here with another great podcast you will enjoy. Today we have with us here in the studio guest host Ken Swall with Bill Williams. Both are well-known journalists who have been friends for over 40 years. Both started in radio and ended up working for WBR-TV News in Knoxville, Tennessee. Bill Williams has always delivered the news straight from the heart with a personal touch. His love for special need children needing a good home prompted him to create a show segment called Monday Child, which aired every Monday night at the end of the news. Bill still keeps in contact with many of those he helped. Ken Swall started as a serious reporter, then became weekend anchor, and eventually creating his own news segment show called Positively Swall. He took his viewers on many curious adventures in East Tennessee while bringing out the funny in those that he interviewed. So without further ado, let's dive right into this conversation from the front porch of Country Road Detours. And now, let's listen in. Well, hello, I'm Ken Schwall, and uh, sitting down on the old front porch with one of my uh, Long-time friends. I was going to say old friends, but at our age, no, no, no. you don't say that. Bill Williams. Hi, Bill. Long time. Let, let's let's count it up. Well, count it up. Forty years. I yeah, at least forty. No, I'd say forty-one or two. Because when I first came here, and I was working the night shift at Channel Ten, I would make the night beat call. You know, around oh, the different wow. counties and yes. everything. And it came to Blunt County, and I always knew if anything was going on in Blunt County, the guy at the Gap. <laughs> W-G-A-P. Exactly. The Gap. Ken Schwall yeah. would know what was going on, and I would call you, and I, that's how we first got acquainted. Yes. It was over the phone. That would have been 78, 9, something like that. Let me tell you what I remember about those calls. Okay. Not only the, the fact that I'm talking to Bill Williams on the phone, I, we worked at, at, at the Gap, WGAP, a small AM radio station in Maryville, and there were only like two of us in the, in the news department. It was quiet. It was very quiet. And I'd be on the phone with Bill, and there'd be all this commotion in the back, clacking of typewriters and, and machines and noise and people yelling. And, and I thought, oh, man, what kind of place is that? And I was, uh, yeah, but, I, yeah, that was a long time ago. I'm really curious. Now, you've told me before, but tell me again. How in the world did a Michigan guy get to the Gap? 
in East Tennessee. Very easy. I married a girl. Oh, that year, uh, which go. a lot of people do. Yeah. But this one happened to be from uh, from Tennessee. My wife. Uh, and where did you meet her? I, I met her in a mental institution. Uh, we started to work the same day at Ypsilanti State Hospital. It's kind of like Eastern State used to be here, okay, Lakeshore, yeah, whatever right. they call it. That's where I met her, and uh, she had moved down. As a lot of people from this area uh, moved up to Michigan to, for jobs, and her daddy did that, and I'm awfully glad he did. <laughs> otherwise, I'd still be single. And you met her there? I did, yes. Then why why, and when did you decide to come to East Tennessee? Well, we, we lived up in, uh, I started in radio in uh, Roger City, Michigan, which is northern Michigan. Is that what you always wanted to do? No. Going to radio? Never did. I just thought really? I, yeah. I, I had no other marketable skills. <laughs> and somebody said, why don't you try radio? Yeah. First year we lived up there, 285 inches of snow. Oh, my word. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and plus, I was making 95 bucks a week, uh -huh. which wasn't enough even to buy snow tires. You were making we much more than I was in my first radio station. <laughs> I was making, I, I'll make that dollar ten an hour for 40 hours a week. So that's $50 a week plus 15% commission on whatever I could sell, and I wasn't a good salesman. Oh, you sold? I oh, sold yeah. too. Yeah. That's yeah. how I got into. You had to. That's how I got into yeah. news because I was so bad at selling. Oh, I was terrible. And then the and the the owner of the station here in in Maryville, when I finally got here, WGAP, said, uh, and I said, well, I needed the extra money, but I, I, you know, and he said, well, there's an opening in the news department. How would you like to be in the news? And I, that's what I did. I only reason I got into news is because I hated sales and I wasn't good at it. But you started in what state? Uh, well, I started in Oklahoma. I By the gone, way, I, I me, gone let, to school. I, I grew up in Missouri. Let me interrupt you just yeah. for a second, because yeah. I don't want time to get away and me not say that I am sitting here with the one of the latest inductees into the Tennessee Journalism Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. That thank is you. incredible. Well, I but was it not, so but honored. not surprising. Well, I was surprised. I was surprised well, and so thrilled. I, really, I I can't think. You could count on one hand the, the journalists in this state, and, and I mean journalists, not um, the, in the true sense of the word, not, not what they have today, that approaches you. Not just saying that because you gave me that $20 earlier, <laughs> but, but I, one of my privileges, when I started in radio at The Gap, there was a guy named Bob Gilbert, who was a radio consultant. And uh, oh, it worked yes. at University of Tennessee and had, had been at Associated Press. So he taught me the basics of journalism, writing and, and things like that. So I was fortunate there. And then to go to Channel 10 and work under Bill Williams, who was the epitome of a journalist. I can't, get, I can't stress enough the accuracy, the, the need to be human, to look at the human qualities of the people you're reporting on, and the writing, I mean, you, you, you had to write good uh, because you didn't want to mess up in front of Bill. So anyway, all I'm saying is it was so fortunate for me to start my television oh, career working under you and you having you as a role model. And, and congratulations again on the Hall of Fame. That well, thank was, you. That, that, that means, means a lot to me coming from you, and, and it means a lot to me, too. To have that have that honor, it, it was really extraordinary. Yeah. Hey, you, you mentioned the accuracy and the concern for people and everything. You know where I think I learned that. And I worked a couple of radio stations, but 
two or three, actually I worked one, two, three radio stations before I got to TV. But I think I learned more working at this little pea popper, little thousand watt pea popper mm. in my hometown. Oh yeah. Where I became news director and I did the important newscast of the day, nine o'clock newscast every day. And I knew if I was wrong, some friend of mine was going to be so unhappy, so angry with me. And, you know, I, I, I worked so hard at making sure everything was right, not just to please my friends, but to, to, to do the job right. That was some of the best yes. training I ever had. It was in that 1,000-watt radio station. What would seem to us now the unimportant story, the little car crash down on Highway 71 yeah. and Pine Street, yeah. you know, who was involved and who caused it and all that. It, it's, it's that kind of experience mm -hmm. where you really, really learn. And you had accountability. Because exactly. as you said, if you say something that's not right, um, I mean, the people you're talking about are <laughs> maybe living next door or across the street. <laughs> and my mother was listening, fiercest critic that I had. Yeah. Uh, not only for accuracy, but uh, oh my goodness, uh, the uh, for you for grammar and pronunciation oh, and yeah. all those things that are very important to a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. She was my best critic. Yeah, she yeah. kept me going straight and straight and narrow. I am so grateful that I started in this business when I did because I oh I, you know well, we are blessed yeah that we were there when we were there. You're listening to Country Road Detours. One of the most popular Christmas time characters is Frosty the Snowman. There's just something about a snowman people seem to love. Especially a South Knoxville woman whose home is wall-to-wall -wall snowmen. Here's Ken. They seem like a normal enough family, mom, dad, and the little girl, but look past them a bit and you begin to notice signs, ominous signs that things in the South Knoxville home are not quite normal. It's the snowmen, hundreds of them. They're everywhere. The shelves are full of them. In the kitchen, they wash their snowman plates with soap from a snowman dispenser. They keep their cookies in a snowman cookie jar. The snowmen have plumb taken over. They all belong to Danielle, and it started with a set of plates. And I got um, pieces to go with the dishes, you know, gravy boats, salt and pepper shakers, and that kind of grew. And then when I went to college, all my friends saw, like, saw that I liked snowmen, and they all bought me snowmen. And so then my family started buying me snowmen. And for my wedding, I got snowmen. Did you ever think that maybe something's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no. Positively Schwal, weeknights at 6 on 10 News. So you moved from the cold. But the cold, and Karina said, well, why don't we, I'd like to go back to Tennessee. So I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so we sold the house, quit the job. We had uh, two kids and one on the way, and we moved to Alcoa, Tennessee, where my mother-in-law had a couple of houses that she was renting out. Uh -huh. So that's where I hooked up with WGAP 
And uh, did you just walk in and say, "I'm here," and I, I needed I, a job? I did. I had. I said, "I'm here," and they said, "So what?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and and oh well, you know, I interviewed for the job and uh, never heard from them. Uh, and, and I, I was getting desperate because we were running out of money. I had sold the house and was living off the profits of the house. And it was getting tight. was going to take a job with an, selling insurance. And, you know, and I, I can't sell. I, I don't know anything about that. But I, I was that desperate. And a guy had offered me a job. So I was getting ready. I was getting dressed to go for the interview with the district manager of this insurance company. When the phone rang and it was the guy from WGAP saying, you still want that job? I said, do I ever. Wow. So I came from Michigan and then you you moved here from? I moved here from, from Missouri. I, I, uh, I grew up in Missouri. Uh, I wanted to be a preacher. I, I went to a Christian church. So I went to Christian church, uh, Christian church sponsored university, Enid, Oklahoma. I've heard of I got my undergraduate degree and I was in seminary. <laughs> I was going to go on to be a preacher, take, go ahead and get my graduate degree in the seminary. In that first year, I just, it, it wasn't right. I, I just could not do it. It didn't feel right. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have another goal. I dropped out of school. I had a job. I was married, had a child. Uh, I had a job at a, at a music store, but I had to get a full-time, a part-time job at a music store moving pianos. Oh. Moving pianos, yes indeed, I did. Wow. I can remember those good old days, you know, all 175 pounds of me, and I'd move those two, three, four, 500 pounds pianos all over the place. So I was working at the music store at uh, 75 cents an hour, but I'd always been intrigued with broadcasting. Always been intrigued with broadcasting. A friend of mine worked at the local television station there. Mm -hmm. He said, why don't you come down to the TV station and, uh, and apply for a job as an announcer? You, you have this, this background, you've, done a lot, a lot of, you've taken a lot of speech courses, you, you ought to be able to do this. So I did, I went down and I applied, and I, I did an audition, offered me a job as an announcer for 40 hours a week at the television station, it was an ABC outlet, would later become the ABC outlet for Oklahoma City. I went home and told my wife, she was working at the time, and uh, she said, well, you're working nights, I'm working days. We'll never see each other. That won't do. That won't do. So I didn't take the job. No. And I've often wondered what would have happened had I taken that job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> I should have, but yeah. I didn't. Well, hindsight is always well, yeah. well, as Well, as it turned out, it worked out okay. So I'm still, I'm still intrigued with broadcasting. So I go to a local radio session, or two of them in town, and I tell them I'm an announcer. Well, they, they auditioned me and hired me that day and put me on the air that night. I was awful. I was awful. You know, do you remember, did you play records? Oh yeah, oh sure. Did. Now, if there are any young people listening to this, they have no idea what we're talking about. No. But uh, most, mostly we played 45s, but occasionally we did play some 78s, not many, oh. a few 78s, yeah. but 45s, and of course the long play, the 33 and the thirds. So I did that, but I didn't have to work nights. Most of, the, most of my work was in the daytime, so I could come home and, yeah. and, and, and see the wife, and she, so she approved, so that was okay. 
But uh, I did that. Uh, um, oh, I know I earned the early morning slot. I came on, yeah. What the favorite slot I, I Morning that. drive. That's, yeah. that's the Six prime. Six to nine. That's the prime time in and radio. the rest of the time I sold advertising. Uh, oh, boy. Was that awful? Or yeah. what? Yeah. But uh, so, so that But it was, put food on the table. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. It, it, it did that. There is a magnetism about broadcasting. Uh -huh. People, and I was the same way when I was young. I was fascinated when I would see... Um, somebody doing a remote broadcast yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. They had these yeah. disc jockeys. Would I stand there for hours and just just watch them and watch and look at the equipment and things? It was fascinating. One of the best sales I ever made was to the local A and W root beer stand. I sold them a remote every Saturday night, an hour long remote. Oh my! And gosh. I stood up on. The, the roof of the root beer stand and, and had the kids come in and they'd holler up whatever record they wanted played. <laughs> and I had a, an engineer back at the station and I let him know and he'd play that record. And I was up, this was 1957. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And oh, it was a centennial for Oklahoma and it was mandated in Enid that everybody grow a beard. So I had a beard <laughs> and, <laughs> and in Bermuda shorts. Uh, on top of the oh, A&W root oh. beer stand. There was a picture. There, oh, I wish I had that picture, picture, but it's oh, gone goodness. now. But there I was. Yeah, oh, that great. was wonderful. That was yeah. a good time. Go I think it cost him $25, yeah. plus, plus my talent fee of $5. Oh, you got a talent fee? Oh, I got a talent fee. For working an hour, I got $5. Yes, I did. <laughs> you really talented. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, oh. But, you know, there's nothing like small town radio. You there don't make isn't. any money, but it was so. Oh, it was so much fun. Was, and I, I did, you know, you, and you do everything, you know, you, yeah. you sell, and you, we did. I did play-by-play. Uh, -play, uh, did you do sports? I never did any play-by-play. I, -play. I did some, and it was, it was kind of fun. It was a, a, a northern Michigan. It was a heavily Polish town. And I would get there doing basketball, you know, and how fast the action is. We had gays. Guys with names like Thazaskowski. <laughs> man, I didn't have to use dental floss the whole season. It was just everything. It was, but, uh, but yeah, you love it. You go broke and you, you, yeah. know, it's, you struggle, but yeah. it's so much fun. It really is. Visit us at CountryRoadDetours.com. Let me tell you about my first time on television. I was nine years old, <laughs> and, and I lived in Detroit. And, and young people will not um, understand this, but we used to have... At one time, everybody shopped downtown. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. They didn't have malls. Yeah. Okay. But but then they had before malls, they had shopping centers, which was like a mall without a roof on it. There were a bunch of stores centrally located, and the first shopping center in America was in just north of Detroit in Southfield. It was called Northland Center. It was 1957 or something like that. So my my 
two buddies, uh, they were twins, we'd, we'd bicycle every Saturday to Northland Center because it was a big deal. Well, to do that, uh, we had to cross several busy, busy streets, including Eight Mile, the dreaded Eight Mile, which was a four-lane thing. So our parents found out and they said, no more. No more biking to Northland. It's too dangerous. So the next Saturday it comes along, and, and of course we hopped on our bikes and drove to Northland, as <laughs> any self-respecting punk yeah, of course. would do. Uh, well, we see this big crowd on, the, on what they call the plaza. So we went up there, and it was a roped-off area, and there was a live television show going on uh, inside. So I, and, and it was fascinating. So we just stood there and watched. Well, the guy came uh, 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 along uh, with a microphone along the, the little rope line there interviewing people. Well, he comes to us, you know. Yeah. Hey, what's your name? Uh, Kenny Schwal, uh, how old are you, man? And, uh, and, and, well, stupid us had no idea that this was going on over television all yeah. over Detroit, including. Oh, boy. To, yeah. So. <laughs> to your parents. Yeah. So we're, we're just oblivious to all that. Well, we get home, and the twins, the Wisda twins, their, their mother had been watching. My mother wasn't watching, but the next-door neighbor, Mrs. Marsh, was, and she called as soon as I came on. Marge, are you watching TV? Kenny's on TV from Northland. No. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so that was my introduction uh -oh. into television. What was your... Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, my goodness. It's just, uh, there's so many stories, so many stories. Well, I was working as a little peep hopper, and somebody drove through town, and I was end of the day to the uh, mood music hour. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah, we had a long play, you yep. know, with a very very central music. So I get a telephone call. Yeah, it's KMAM. Yeah, who who was that? Just did the news. That was me. <laughs> I knew somebody was. I knew somebody was ripping me up. I did something wrong. Well, it sounded pretty good. And he said. Uh, What's your name? And I told him all that. Well, anyway, he worked for a television station. He was with the, he was a program director of a television station in Jefferson City, and he invited me over to, to, uh, wow. to audition for a television job, and my first first television job. So they hired me. No, no, I turned down the first job. I can't remember why, but they called me back two or three months later, and they I guess offered me more money or something, and they hired me as weekend weather. Weather? Yeah. You were a you know, weather Weather girl? is one of the most <laughs> difficult things in the world to do I on know. television. It's not scripted, and there's no prompter. Yes. As a matter of fact, we didn't have a prompter back then. But uh, so I did the weather, and I did, you can't, this is <laughs> a TV, shaking. but I'm showing a shaking hand, as I was trying to point out. <laughs> scared me to death. I thought I'd never be scared of anything. I got over it. I mean, on the radio, but that television scared me to death. But I got over it. Yeah, I got over it. And I got into news. And somebody, we were talking earlier about the. What, is there one story that you remember that's? There are a lot. Right? I, I know it's. But it's one hard. of them has been reminded the last couple of nights. I don't know if you you've watched this this PBS series on country music or not. I I, I missed it, but I, but I you intend to go back it. and watch it. Yeah, you should watch it. Some of the originators of country music were. Uh, was the Carter family oh, yeah. from up here in southwest Virginia. Right. Well, there's a place where they grew up, still still an operation called the Carter Fold. Mm -hmm. They have like a barn dance every Saturday night. And I, I, Jerry Owens, photographer of Channel 10, and I went up there and did a story on the Carter Fold. And they come from all over for old time hillbilly yeah. music. 
no electric guitars, no electricity allowed. It, it, it's all just old timing. All oh. old timing. No smoking. No drinking. <laughs> no cussing. Oh yeah, you could cuss. Oh okay. <laughs> oh yeah, you could cuss and, and dance and do all that kind of stuff. But the Carter family—that's a great history. Oh yeah. And uh, so that—that's that's the center of that history. That's where they live, right there in the middle of Poor Valley. The campaigns, the political campaigns that I covered, followed uh, Al Gore around a couple of times when he ran for president in New Hampshire, and uh, and uh, Lamar Alexander. I love that. You did some political reporting yourself. I I did a little bit. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that I for 15 years I did real news. Then I got into the fluff, well, my wife called it fluff for 20 years, but yeah, yeah I, I, I covered, I interviewed uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, George H.W. and Barbara Bush. And Barbara Bush, right. Um, yeah, and that was uh, that was fun, and of course Lamar and, and, yeah. and a lot of people, yeah. I think I've told you before, you interviewed me before, I think I told you before, one of, one of my best memories was the Democratic Convention in 1984. I went out there with Jim Martin. My son Mark came up from from Los Angeles as part of our crew, and oh. my wife Wanda was there because they didn't get paid, but the, the, that was the crew. Oh, wow. And we covered that was the first time we covered a, a convention, and we worked ourselves to death, 16, 18 hours a day for those four or five days. One of my fellow inductees got up and said he he shook hands with with Walter Cronkite. Oh, well, I did too. You, you did some, some... No, I did. I'll tell you that one of the most memorable stories I did was before I was at Channel 10, when I was at The Gap. Um, I, and The Gap in, in Miraville was close to the airport. Well, some guy had taken a, a hostage out in the parking lot. He pulled up to an employee who was on his way into work and held a pistol on him and said, get in the car. The guy got in the car and this the perpetrator smashed through a fence and drove out onto the tarmac and was holding this guy at McGee Tyson Airport hostage. Story. Well, we had scanners were going crazy at, at, at the Gap as, as every place else. And of course, me being the closest, I got there before anybody in Knoxville was there. Yeah. So I pulled up and there was, at that time, there was an Alcoa police officer and there was an FBI agent who just happened to be there. So the three of us were standing there. Well, the guy had a pistol. Well, we were we could see him, but we were out of pistol range, so we were safe. We didn't know he had an M16 rifle. Oh my! We were not out of M16 no. range. So all of a sudden, the guy opens fire at us, and <laughs> we hear these shots, and we hear the zzz, you know the yeah. I don't know if you ever been shot at, no. but you hear that zzz, the bullets whizzing. Oh, we just hit the deck. Or, or as the Alcoa police officer put it, we were eating concrete. <laughs> and those bullets were just flying over our heads. And, and, and the scary part was I, was, I was new at news and I knew that I was supposed to file a report and, and I couldn't file a report eating concrete. So I crawled on my belly like a snake to get to the airport terminal to call, get a payphone, remember payphones? Yeah, I do. Uh, and to call in. I remember in and, when and, they cost a dime. And file, yeah, I know. <laughs> and file, file the report. And uh, but, uh, and then I, then like an idiot, I went back, and, and crawled back because I wanted to be in, in the in the action. And uh, and the guy was still would still fire off shots. And it, the funny thing was when all this was going on after I'd crawled back, my wife called. 
for me at the station. Wanted me oh, to pick up no. a loaf of bread or something. At, and, and she said, is Ken there? He says, no, he's, he's at the airport, but he's under fire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, anyway, well, it, it turned out okay. The guy gave himself up eventually. Before we go any farther, before I forget, could, would you tell the story about you, you moved to Alcoa? I did, yes. And you went to church first Sunday, you're a Catholic, you were raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic, yeah, and yeah. We, we, need, we needed a, a, we got here on a Saturday. Yeah. And, and uh, church on Sunday, we wanted to go to church. So yeah. uh, I looked in a phone book under uh, church. We found one that I, that I knew, it was on the cross street, next street over, so I said, well, we'll go there. Well, it was, I'm, you know, as you said, I was raised Catholic in the north. Yeah. This was a, a really, Southern uh, uh, yelling, and the guy was, you know, the jumping up and down, and it was, it was, it's not what I'm in. And my, you know, my son was kept putting his hands over his ears. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. And my daughter was crying. So anyway, so we said, well, next week we'll go someplace else. Well, we went to the Catholic Church the next day, and it was like just the opposite. And, and there was, it was a little on the dull side, you know. The, priest just kind of read the sermon off a piece of paper in a monotone. It was, well, on the, so uh, we left there. On our way back, we passed the First Baptist Church of Alcoa. Uh -huh. And it was between uh, the uh, Sunday school and the church service. And there were a bunch of guys out there on the sidewalk and they were smoking. Smoking cigarettes. And, and it was a Baptist church. And I said to my wife, look at them. They're smoking outside the Baptist church. They can't be too hardcore. We'll go there next yeah. Sunday. So we did, and we were there for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> only because these guys were smoking out on the sidewalk. Which just goes to show you, smoking's not always bad. No, I called it their smoking ministry. <laughs> WBIR-TV in Knoxville. And this is the noon edition of Action 10 News with Carl Williams. Good afternoon. Tennessee Banking Commissioner Billy Adams has closed United American Bank of Knoxville after ruling the second largest state chartered financial institution is insolvent. About the only decision reached was to close the bank this morning. Action 10's Bill Williams is on the scene live at United American Bank. Bill, what's the story from down there? Well, Carl, the story is, just as you have said, the United American Bank here in downtown Knoxville, of course, branches throughout the city, has been closed at least for one day. It's the end, or well, actually a continuation of a series of rumors and speculations that began on the streets and in banking circles Friday. We began hearing those rumors as people began to flood into, actually, flood into portions, into some branches of the bank. You preceded me at Channel 10 by a couple of years. And I was somewhat instrumental in getting you to Channel 10. Oh, you were very instrumental. Very instrumental. You almost insisted that yeah. I apply yeah. for a job. Yeah. yeah. But you, by that time, you were firmly ensconced. I was. In the anchor chair. Yes. But you started out in, in, at nights, right? Yeah. I uh, applied for the job. I saw the ad and they wanted an anchor. So I applied, sent a tape, Pete Finley. Uh -huh. 
bless his heart. God love him. A great man. I love him. I loved him. May he rest in peace. Uh, called me and offered me a job at the stupendous salary of $210 a week. <whistles> yes, indeed. To come and be the weekend anchor. Oh, the weekend anchor. Weekend anchor. Well, I was ready. I was news director and anchor at the station in Springfield, and it was just too much. Don't don't ever do that. Although you did. <laughs> now you tell me. Yeah, not. We'll get to that later. No. Uh, so I came to Knoxville, met Pete for breakfast, and he said, uh, "Now your schedule will be Tuesday through Saturday." I said, "I thought I was weekend anchor." He said, you are? What about Sunday? He said, we don't have news on Sunday. <laughs> what? News on Sunday? <laughs> That's right, we didn't. That was one disappointment. Another disappointment, I said, well, how many photographers do we have? Station where I'd been, smaller station, smaller market, we had two photographers. He said, oh, well, we, uh, <clears throat> um, we, uh, we, we don't have any photographers. <laughs> <laughs> As you well remember. Oh, I do remember. Yes, yes we yes. shot for each other. So anyway, I came to work, and I did that for about two or three weeks, and they made me 11 o'clock anchor Monday through Friday. Van Hackett was the 6 o'clock anchor and the news director. Oh. And we used to say Van Hackett couldn't hack it. Oh, I remember him though. You remember him? He had one of these oh, beautiful boys. Oh my gosh! And good he was a good looking. looking gentleman. Oh, and he was, good looking. Yeah. But that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> so he left us after a year, and they made me the six o'clock anchor. Elder Brown and I co-anchored. Oh yes, for a while. Elder. And Elder was a big fan of yours too, well, and she she wanted you to come be part of our staff as badly as I did. Yeah, and. Uh, well, I'm so you, what, what year did you come to work? About 79, eight, 79, right 79. at the beginning of the teleco, uh, or in the teleco, because that was my first. Some of the great stories. Teleco, and oh, yeah, it was, well, it was a what great. What was her name? Nellie McCall. Nellie McCall. Got I'll kicked out of her property. Forget. She and a guy named Tom Mosier, they were the last holdouts for the teleco project. And, and point of the day, the marshals came and hauled them away. One of your so best sad. stories it ever. So sad, uh, bless her heart. And uh, but yeah, but that that was that was a great way to start a TV career because it was a great story. Oh yeah. And all these the Indians, the yeah. Native American lands being flooded, say yeah. their sacred land. Yeah. You got the farmers getting kicked out. You got the snail darter. You got, I mean, it was just like. Uh, also, some of my favorite stories are the Monday's Children's stories. Oh. Jameson is a young man with problems, but he's working those problems out. And it'd be a lot easier for him if he had a family to help. Perhaps you know of such a family for this week's Monday's Child. Twelve-year-old Jameson is currently in a treatment program to help stabilize his aggressive behavior. His therapist states that he's made some big improvements, but still has a ways to go. Despite those problems, Jameson has an appealing personality. Very 1980, Ivan, Ivan. were co-presidents of the Knoxville Council of Adoptable Children, and they had two adoptive children. And they'd seen a program that featured adoptive, adoptable children in Atlanta, and she said, why can't we do that here? And I said, well, I think we can. 
So I went to our then news director, Judy Jenkins, and I said, here's the idea, can we do it? She said, sure. So we worked together with the Department of Children's Services and we got it all worked out to where I would go film them and, and they, they, they would identify the kids and I would film them or tape them, put them on the air and they would handle any, anybody that called. So we went out in April, I think it was, of that year of 1980 to do our first Monday's Children and there were four of them. And one of them was a young man named Tim. I went with photographer Newt Danley one of the finest photographers ever, one oh, of the yeah. finest men ever. Newt and I went out and did these four kids. And we came back and he said, what about that Tim? Tim was about 11, 12 years old at that time. I said, yeah, he's a pretty neat kid. He said, yeah, he was. Well, make a long story short, Newt and his wife Patsy ended up adopting <laughs> the first Monday's child, <laughs> adopted Tim. I hear did, from Tim occasionally. Do you really? And Newt quite often, of course. Yeah. And one one of the reasons they adopted was because they couldn't have children. And not long after they took Tim into their their home, uh, little Amanda Kate was born. <laughs> Unfortunately, she now has cancer, you know. Yes, yes. So, yeah. so our thoughts and prayers go out to Newt and Patsy and yeah. Amanda yeah. Kate and Tim and the whole family. But, but that, that was, of course. That, was, so the Tim segment never made it on the air. No, no, it never did, but he was on the air a lot. Yeah. <laughs> here's Tim, our first Monday child, yeah, adopted a, by... How many kids did you uh, feature on, on these? About 1,500, 1,600. Oh, my goodness. About 1,000 of them got adopted. The happiest story was the story of the 10 brothers and sisters. Oh. The department called me and said, we got 10 brothers and sisters we're going to put on Monday child. All, all, all bonded together, ranged from age from two to sixteen. I said, "That's great. How are we going to split them up?" <laughs> I said, "No, we're not going to split them up." I said, "You kidding me?" Yeah. I said, "No, we want to, we want to get them all adopted by one family." I said, "It ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to adopt ten kids." But we went ahead. I said, "I'll try." So we went. We met. We got. They, they brought the kids. They were living in different foster homes, and we met together at Cumberland Mountain State Park outside uh, Crossville and they were delightful just beautiful children ranging as I said from 2 to 16 a set of twins in the middle there was one profoundly uh, affected child oh I got to tell you Monday children fall in one or more of four categories they are hard to, they're hard to place because one they're too old they're over nine years old there are too many sibling groups of three or more they are emotionally, physically, mentally handicapped in some way. They are African-American or some other minority group. So for one or more, four reasons, they become hard to adopt. And those were the kids that you saw among the children. Right. Now those 10 kids were there obviously because there was a bunch of them, 10 of them. But they were just absolutely beautiful kids and they did everything I asked them to do. They went down the slides, they went on the, on the swings, they, they gathered around, and they were just—they were—and they were beautiful children. I mean, you, you know, you just—you just wanted to hug and love every one of them. We put them on the air, and I knew nobody's going to adopt ten kids. But back then, they ran at six—I mean, at, at noon, six and eleven—all three major newscasts mm -hmm. because we wanted to hit all segments of of, of the of the audience. They ran at noon. Phones started ringing. They ran at six, 
phone was ringing off the hook. They ran at 11, phone was still ringing the next day. The Department of Children's Services got more than 200 good, solid applications from people who obviously could and would adopt 10 children. Wow, wow. So then they had to sort through, they called a meeting. Y'all come on down, we're gonna talk about it. And they had to sort through all those applications and look over all those people very carefully. And finally they decided on Joe and Debbie, a couple lived up here in Campbell County. Mm. And Joe and Debbie adopted them and took them into their hearts. That's amazing. Now let me tell you one more thing about Joe and Debbie. Joe and Debbie are, are church folk. They are real, dedicated church folk. They believe that God has uh, an important part of, uh, of their, that plays an important part of their, of their lives. And both of them woke up one Monday morning and said, something's going on. Something's not right. We need to find a bigger, better house for some reason. Now, Joe had been recently injured at, at the job, and he was getting some pretty healthy uh, payments as a result of that. So they had some extra money. We need to take that money, and we need to buy a bigger house. They both woke up feeling that way. Why, they didn't know. But they both had that feeling. They wrestled with that all day long. What's going on in our lives? What's happening? And they sat down that night to watch the, watch the news, as they always did on Channel 10, and those 10 kids came up, and they said, that's it. That's why we need a bigger house. That's why, what God was trying to tell us. We need those kids, and they need us. And they were the ones chosen to adopt those that's kids. That's an amazing story. And they've lived happily ever after. I hear from some of them occasionally. Yeah. Wow. yeah. You know, I said earlier that, that I'm, I'm glad that I uh, got into journalism when I did and, and you when you did because it's changed a whole lot. And I'm a, I, I have these fears that uh, young people coming up now and, and watching cable news will get what I'd consider the wrong impression of what journalism is. I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of actual what I consider journalism going on I'm talking about the national level. Yeah. Channel 10 and, and uh, local stations, fine, they still adhere to some principles. But uh, I, I would encourage, you know, when people, young people ask me about going into journalism, I really encourage them to watch cable news and then disregard what they do. Because it's, it's not journalism. It's, it's mostly opinionated. Pandering yeah. to, uh, to a certain causes, be it from the right or to the or left, right. and there, there's no straight journalism, and I, I wish they would get back to that, but I don't see it happening. But I, it's I, would, I would like to say something about you specifically. You lean very definitely one way or the other, and I'm not going to say which way. <laughs> I ain't ashamed. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to say which way, because I would never know from watching your reports, and our audience would never know because you worked very, very hard at going straight down the middle, yeah. straight down the line. Yeah. As a I, matter of fact, I, you used to get complaints. Oh, I did. I, opposite. I remember one in particular. I was doing a thing with Al Gore. Yeah. And it was a live thing from the airport, and, and, I, and there was 
he was late getting in, so I was vamping a lot. Yeah. Just, just, you know, talking, you know, filling uh, yeah. time. Uh, but uh, when I got back to the station, they said, well, we, we got some complaints. I said, from which side? I said, both. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew that was, yeah. yeah. But I, and so I, I just hate to see that journalism become that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, so if somebody was asking me, uh, about going into jur journalism, I would really encourage them to go more in the direction of Bill Williams than uh, some of these guys. In the I would suggest one basic thing to young people considering journalism, whether it be print, or radio, television, whatever. You, the individual, are not the story. Oh. You are not the story. The story is the story. Yeah, but uh, this has been fun. Yeah, it has. I have loved this. I've enjoyed it. We'll have to do it more. Uh, anyway, uh, we're out of time. So this is uh, Bill Williams and Ken Schwal signing off from Country Road Detour. Thanks for stopping by Country Road Detour.